Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 13, continuing on our series in Luke. And we see in the beginning of Luke chapter 13, Jesus is telling the people everywhere to repent to turn towards Him, turn away from sin. And then He gives a parable of the barren fig tree. And He tells the people to bear, really bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That there should be an obvious mark on the Christian life. There should be an obvious demonstration that we belong to Jesus. And He said one of this this obvious demonstration looks like, looks like fruit. There's a fruitfulness when we are connected to Christ and following Him that He produces in us. This morning, we're going to see a story about a little old lady who happened to encounter Jesus Christ in the synagogue. And before we do, we're just going to pray. So Lord, we, we come before You this morning and we pray that Your Word would speak to us. Lord, thank You that You promise, God, that Your Word does not, will not return void but it will accomplish the very thing in which you sent it to do. So God, we pray, let our hearts be soft. God, let us receive your word with faith. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the glory and majesty of your name and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've told this story to you before, but I couldn't think of a better one to to use as, as an example. So I'll tell it to you again if you haven't heard it before. When I was probably about 23 or 24 years old, we had gone on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. And I went along as like a team leader kind of person, but I just kind of overseeing a couple of high school guys. But there was another group leader who was kind of like overseeing the whole team. And as we were down in the Dominican Republic, um, we were down there for two weeks. And so Dominican Republic is beautiful and it's it's luscious and it's green and there's rivers everywhere and it's just, it's just a wonderful place. And so halfway through the trip, we decide that we're going to take a little four-wheeling excursion. And so we're going to get on some four-wheelers. It's our excursion day, a day of rest. And so we decide we're going to rent some four-wheelers and take it down and climb a mountain on four-wheelers in the, in the Dominican Republic, which that should have been my first clue. Like, this probably wasn't going to go well. Um, and so we, we rent these four-wheelers, and they've got this dirt track that you run around a couple of times. And like, okay, you, can, you obviously know how to ride. We can just all go now. And so there's a train of us, and we're all going forward on these four-wheelers, and we're f- screaming down this little dirt road, coming up to a river. And so everyone like, puts on the brakes super hard, and everyone kind of skidding out a little bit. And I'm like the second-to-last person in, in line of the four-wheelers. And as we put on the brakes, I see out of the corner of my eye a four-wheeler going end over end over end. And it's like this four-wheeler. I mean, this thing's huge, just ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And it, it if it would have hit me, it would have crushed me. But the thing just kind of went like alongside of me. Well, behind the four-wheeler was a person going end over end over end. I mean, just, going, just doing one of these, just head over heels. Just, and it was our team leader. It was Dave Prince, actually. Dave Prince was the guy that was going to end over end, and he was a youth pastor at the time, and so we jump off the four-wheelers, we run over to Dave, and Dave's shoulder is in the middle of his chest. 
and he is white as a ghost. You know, that expression, like he was literally, all the blood looked like it left his body, and he was completely pale, and he was just kind of out of it. And his shoulder was literally in the middle of his chest, and we're like, man, you are messed up. This is not going to go well. So, um, so from there, they tried to find a doctor in that little town who was sober on a Sunday, couldn't find one, had to bring him to a larger city, couldn't really get any medical care there. They had to medvac him out of, out of Dominican Republic back to the States to get adequate medical care because they couldn't find any on a Sunday in the Dominican Republic where we were. Well, that's, that's one part of the story, and there's more that went along with that. But in the midst of that, we had like 20 high school students who had all paid a couple thousand dollars to go on this trip. Halfway through, all of a sudden, like, do we send everyone back? Do we just cut it short? Do we just, what do we do? Our team leader is, is gone. He's, he's got, he was taken back to the States. And the way the Lord had set my life up until that point is I never really wanted any kind of like church leadership. I never really wanted leadership at all. I was just kind of a, I was, I was very frightened to speak in front of people. I just didn't really, I was inexperienced in what I was doing and, um, but yet they said, hey, John, would you, would you take and lead the team for the next week? All these high school students, I don't, I don't do well in front of people. I, don't really, I mean, I don't really like high school students all that much. I just wanted to, I wanted to go on the trip. I like missions, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so I said, yes, I'll do that. And that simple yes, that simple availability... It changed the trajectory of my life forever. And it completely changed me as well. And it was just a small, quiet availability to God. I wasn't like the super team leader. I wasn't this great missionary. I just, I said yes by the grace of God. And it changed the trajectory of my life. We're going to read a story today about an older lady with an infirmity whose life will be changed forever by an encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's start reading in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This is Jesus. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. This is the last record of Jesus teaching in a synagogue. And as Luke begins to describe this woman, he says two things, that she was bent over, and that she could not straighten herself out. He's like, I want you to make sure that you know there's no hope for this lady. Bent over, could not straighten herself. And he attributes this to some demonic activity in her life. There's a disabling spirit that's gotten hold of her, not allowing her to stand up. And here Jesus, as he encounters this woman, sees her and calls her out in front of everybody. Everyone at the synagogue that day Jesus points her out and says, I want you to come here. And she does. I love, I love the fact that this woman, 
probably without any hope in her life, is spending time with the people of God. I think about the excuses sometimes that I feel like, well, I'm not feeling well, stayed up late last night, I'm not going to go to church. The weather's bad. I mean, there's a million excuses why we shouldn't be at church. This woman had the excuse of all excuses why she, would, she shouldn't be at church. She's bent over, couldn't stand fully up, and yet she's made a point to be with the people of God, right where she should have been. And she encounters Jesus Christ in such a powerful, unique way. I want to encourage you, man. Sunday mornings, it, it is hard to get to church sometimes. We have to realize there is a spiritual battle going on. All hell wants to prevent you from being here. All of it. If anything can go wrong, it goes wrong on a Sunday morning, right? The big blow-off fight with your spouse, maybe on the way to church or right before church or Saturday night. Someone has a party and you stay up late. I mean, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't be here. There's a real serious spiritual battle taking place for our hearts every single Sunday morning. I want you to just remind you of that. When, 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 the, when, when you get up on Sunday morning and you don't feel well and you're tired and all these other things, realize this, that there is, there is an aspect of a spiritual battle going on in your life that is prevent, wanting to prevent you from ever setting foot and spending time with God's people. Satan does not want you to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. does not want you to spend time singing His praises. does not want you to spend time with other people especially the people of God. So this woman is here, in, here at the synagogues with other God's people. And Jesus Christ comes over to her, reaches out to her, and heals her. Simply heals her. Places His hand on her. But this is what Jesus Christ has come to do. Remember back to His first sermon in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4? He says, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is what I've come to do, to set people free, to deliver them from bondage. This is what Jesus Christ has come to do, and this is what he's doing right then and there. But this is also what he's doing today. See, we worship a living God. We don't worship a dead, distant God, a a God who hasn't really shown up for a long time. We worship the living God who is active in our midst today. It's so funny how we were worshiping this morning and my, my son Nicholas is sitting next to me and he points up at the cross. He goes, look, Dad, God's here. And I thought, Nick, like, come on, man, let's just try. But I thought, you know what? He is here. He's right. God is in our midst. He's a living God. God is with us. He's here today. We talk about people getting healed. It's it's not people getting healed because we've got somehow power in ourselves to heal people. People get healed because God is alive. And God is moving and God is active. And God is able to reach out to us right where we're at. In our sickness, in our brokenness, in our hurt. He's able to touch us and make us whole. And reach out to us. That is what God is able to do. That is what he was doing thousands of years ago. And this is what he still does today. So this woman here is bound for 18 years. Being faced with staring at people's feet for 18 years. 
Never, never able to look anyone in the eyes. There was something dehumanizing about this affliction. And what's the effect of Jesus' touch? She straightens up and she praises God. Straightens up and praises God. This is similar to what happened in Luke chapter 6. Early in Jesus' ministry, again, we see him in the synagogue. And a man with a withered, withered hand comes forward and Jesus touches him and heals him. And the leaders at the time were furious. They were upset at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. Earlier, in a couple weeks ago, as we were preaching through, we talked about interpreting the times, knowing the seasons. Jesus says, look, you can see a storm cloud coming. You know that there's rain coming. You feel heat coming out of the south. You know it's going to get hot soon. Jesus is telling people, look, respond to me. Respond to my words. Interpret the times. And it's like he's giving the Pharisees and the religious leaders a second chance. The exact same thing happens. You're in a synagogue. What's going to happen? Are these, are these synagogue rulers and leaders, are they going to respond to Jesus? Are they finally going to see that this is Almighty God at work? Are they going to respond to God now? They've got a second chance. As I was thinking about this, this just shows the mercy of the Lord. How many times has He given us a second chance? How many times has He spared us? How many times has He come to us and given us the same thing over and over and over again? Because we are too hard or too thick or too distracted to hear it the first time. This is the mercy of God. This is the mercy of God to us. Now what happens to the Pharisee? What happens to this religious leader? Verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. They hadn't learned a thing. They hadn't learned a thing. Here God's providing another opportunity to respond to Jesus. And what does the religious leader do? After Jesus heals this woman, he turns to the people. And he castigates the people. Hey, listen, everyone. I know Jesus healed this one, but hey, look, it's your problem. He just healed this person. Look, come on those other days for healing. Don't bother with this healing stuff on Sundays or on the Sabbath day. Would have been a Saturday, but don't come these other days to be healed. So he reprimands the people. Let's continue on in verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced, just like the children in the basement. (laughs) Right on cue. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus looks at this guy and says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look, even even as religious leader, even in the law, you're permitted to untie and travel a thousand yards to bring 
your animal, to care for your animal, to bring them to water. But you're not able to put your hand on someone and heal them? Look, this, this honors the Lord. This woman is set free. This woman has been delivered. Satan has been defeated. This honors the God. This should be happening on the Sabbath, surely, and every other day of the week. There's not like one day of the week where Satan gets to have his reign, and then those other days, God's, God's going to be victorious. No, he says, look, this day especially, God is going to reign. Satan is going to be defeated. Jesus is going to be triumphant every day of the week, not just six days a week. Now, what I love about this story is that Jesus takes what just happens and begins to theologically interpret it with the use of parables. So the story doesn't end here. He, this launches Jesus right into a set of parables for us. So this will help us to understand and dig deeper as to the theological reasons of what just happened and why it's significant. So we're going to look at that in a second. But first, I want to bring, um, ask two people to come up, Chuck Powell's and, and Meredith Taylor. And both of them have just tremendous testimonies that they're going to share. So, Chuck, if you would um, come up and just share with us. These are two testimonies to things that God has done in their lives. And so I think this really ties in really nicely to the things that we've talked about so far. So, Chuck, here you go. Yeah, I was um, really impressed with a couple of different things already this morning, and that's how the fellowship is growing. And uh, John asked me to share just a couple of moments. But um, one of the things that really... um, um, pressed my button was um, Joanna when she was up here. I don't know if she's here now. She's maybe downstairs with the kids. No, there she is. Um, because I wanted you to notice that uh, her animation in what she was believing for. And also the second point was how she remembered everything that God has done. as she listed the names of those people. She remembered. She was animated. She was Im- she was had a passion that was developing within her, then I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see as many healings as what you claim in your life. You're going to see healings. Uh, as passionate as you remain, you're going to see that just by saying yes to God and by remembering all that he's done. And so it was a beautiful send-off to what I was believing for. Um, I was a sinner saved by grace, and I came to a, a radical conversion um, many, many years ago, three and a half decades ago. And uh, the first thing, the first passage that God led me to was Deuteronomy 6. Um, And it revolutionized my life because I was involved in various different uh, business things, and I was chief of the South Holland Fire Department, and uh, the phones were ringing all night long, and we had seven kids, and all the kind of things you think would make you busy were occupying my time. And I had come from a Christian home, but but there was something God did in my radical conversion, and he took my eyes off of myself and put, them on, uh, put my eyes on others instead of myself. And that's why it was so radical in my case. And she reminded me of it, and Johnny reminded me of it when he was sharing. I should call him John now. But um, John reminded me of it when he was sharing because there was a time when I thought to myself, John lead one of our churches, one of our plantings. I doubt it. And um, then, then David, uh, his brother, I doubt it. Uh, because Ruth used to say how much they used to fight. I doubt it. 
And God did a wonderful, wonderful thing in all of our lives. And all we had to do was say to God, yes. And when I said yes to God, he radically changed our lives. He radically changed the life of our children, um, everything that we did. And I never envisioned it to be what it would be today, but I praise God that it was. But in Deuteronomy, the reason it changed my life is because I read this passage in 6 about the, commands, uh, about the commandments uh, that uh, Moses had brought forth. And it said, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them around your for, uh, on your foreheads and write them on the doorposts of your homes or your houses and your gates. And that spoke to me that everything in my life had to turn around and everything in my life had to change to what was uh, promoting and passionately, um, uh, my passion for business and all those things had to radically change. My passion was the purposes of God. There's two kingdoms. Johnny might share about it in a a couple of minutes. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And God spoke to me and said, you'll be part of the kingdom of God from this point on. And that radically changed my life. And I just cried out and I said, "Um, I will be your your house, oh God, for you to love through. In other words, I would be an instrument of God that he could show his love to other people. I would be his house from that point on. And we are not perfect. Uh, God was the only one that was perfect. And do we fail? Yes, we fail. Do we slip? Yes, we do. But God's given us the great gift of repentance. So radically converted, now I've committed that I would be his house to love through to other people. And I just just, um, thought that at the end of the day, the only legacy that I would require of God, that someday when I go to heaven, that when people think of me, I wouldn't be thought of as a great pastor or a great uh, truck line executive or a chief of a fire department or whatever it may have been in my life. But I would be thought of, and the only recognition I would like is that my stone someday would say, lover of God, serving him, and by that serving his people. And that's all I wanted to be recognized for all of my life. And God then brought different individuals into my life that I just felt I heard from God. And God said, he or she will do my great works upon the earth. And even until this day, when I see and hear what she's bringing, and I see and hear what others in this church are doing, I say to myself, God exploded in our midst exploded in our midst because we want to see the great wonders of your love one person at a time to advance the kingdom not of this world but the kingdom of God and um, whether it be frank sharing or others who have already shared or leadership the worship group I know it it it's sometimes you say to yourself it's not quite what it should be but I'm going to tell you something it's better than the last time I was here and it's going to keep getting better it's going to keep getting better. Uh, the first couple meetings, uh, wow, no way. But anyway, uh, God is doing great things among us, and he's going to do great things in this church. 
And you're going to see on the 10th of March, if you all come to Cross Point, what God has done from just a number of one. One thing, two things, three things. And uh, you, you, you will expand the kingdom of God as you believe in the kingdom of God. And all it requires is to say yes. And just little things. You say, I believe in healing. Yes, Lord, I will be, as I heard from Joanna, I'm going to be that passionate for healing. Someday, I felt I need, I need healing. I have a blood disease that the medical profession says will, um, I will lose my life shortly. But my life is not responding to my medical condition. God is healing me. But I felt again when you were sharing, as I lifted my hands to receive what God was giving her, I thought, I want to be one of those that she will mention and say, and Chuck was healed. And Chuck was healed of a fatal blood disease, along with all the rest of the things that, that she's heard in her life. That's for each one of us. We'll be impassioned for all kinds of things. Heather, with that baby, well, you know, you just, there's something in you when you hear her share. You say, that's kingdom. That's kingdom. And uh, it's for each one of us. Thank, thank you for just this little insert here. It's your turn. <laughs> Come up. But. I am Meredith Taylor, and thank you, Mercy Hill, for um, extending the welcome to me, to your church family. Um, I was invited to come here because of my friend Jamie Peterson from work, um, and I'm here today with my family, with my husband Rob and our two daughters, Reese and Claire. Um, and I'm, I'm not a stranger to the church setting. I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, we lived three blocks from our church and our school. I went to Catholic grade school, K through 8, and went to Catholic high school, freshman through senior year. My family was very, very involved in our, our church and our community and the ways we served our community. Um, but we didn't talk about Jesus at home, and I didn't, I didn't you know, recite Bible verses, and I didn't really have a relationship with God. And I was married in the Catholic Church. Rob and I were married in 2002, actually at um, St. Thomas More in Munster. And um, in 2006, we had Reese, our first daughter. And I remember right after Reese was born, someone specifically said to me, um, you know, you made a promise to God when you got married in the Catholic Church that you would raise your family um, Catholic. And I thought, well, that's perfect that I made that promise to God because I don't know God. I, I'm not going to be held accountable for that. It wasn't really a promise for me because I didn't know him. Um, probably the closest I got to having a relationship with God was um, having my friend Julie Ballantyne. Um, she was one of the first people I met at my first job in northwest Indiana. Um, and Julie loved the Lord, and Julie uh, was a parishioner at Living Word. And she talked a lot about her church family and Johnny and Michelle and Johnny and Michelle. And it wasn't until seven years later that we even put the faces to the names of Johnny and Michelle. Sounds like one person. Um, And in late 2009, I became very selfish and very prideful. And we all know that pride comes before the fall. And um, in summer of 2010, I walked away from my marriage and um, I 
made a lot of poor decisions, and one poor decision led to another poor decision. And throughout that time, I was working at St. Margaret's, and Jamie had always been a good friend to me and had always talked to me about the Lord. We had conversations about the Lord, but for me, it was kind of Jamie's thing. Um, But during the time, the lower I sunk, the more I probably sought out Jamie. It was really easy to be a friend of Jamie's. Jamie has a very busy social schedule. Um, She lived six minutes from work, and I lived 40 minutes from work, so it was a lot easier just to pack my bag and go to Jamie's after work and spend the night sometimes. So Jamie had um, recommended that we, or encouraged me to go to a Bible study with um, women at Mercy Hill, and I went one Monday night um, on October 10th, 2011, and um, we were reading a book called Lies Women Believe um, and the Truth That Sets Them Free, I think it's called. And I met Ruth Hamstra and adored her from the minute I met her, and um, a lot of other Christian women, Allie and Jaws and Um, just women who were able to share their stories or their thankfulness, and it was all related back to God. And I felt very calm in that atmosphere and happy. Um, I wasn't happy, I don't think, on the inside. I think I was really pretty much falling apart at the seams. Um, I was really broken. Um, So um, that same week... Jamie and I were still hanging out, and um, we went to Chicago and met some of her friends in Chicago, and I was spending the night at Jamie's house, and we were out very late, and very early the next morning, um, Jamie had asked that two of her friends from her church come over and help her move her furniture into her new house, and so there I was in Jamie's room, with these guys are bringing furniture up into her room, hi, I'm Jamie's friend Meredith, um, so I thought, well, this would be really rude if I didn't get up and go downstairs and you know, introduce myself to them. So I went downstairs and grabbed a cup of coffee and sat across the table, and um, Adam Gulledge was across from me, and Adam Kern was on my right, and Jamie was on my left, and we just shared breakfast, and I asked Adam and Adam how they knew Jamie, and they started to talk about Echo and the mission trips they had been on, and they were going on and on, and I was listening and, you know, very curious to hear what they had to say, and at one point I think I just interrupted one of them and stopped them and said, you know, this is really embarrassing for me to ask this question because I got A's in my religion classes for 13 years, but I don't know this language that you're speaking in grace and sanctification, and I'm a word girl. I'm a speech pathologist. I have a master's in that and an English degree, and I don't understand what you're saying. I don't even know how to ask a question to you, and I think that they just sensed that frenetic energy in me. Um, because I didn't say it, but what I was trying to say was, and I want to, I want to know what you're saying. Um, and so they just went around the table and Jamie said, Mayor, you know, Jesus's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. You are forgiven. Um, and Adam Kern said, um, you don't have to be defined by your past mistakes. That's behind you. That's, you know, you don't have to live in bondage to that. You are defined by Jesus. Um, and Adam Gulledge across from me told me, um, whenever I'm sad or lonely, go and rest in the arms of Jesus, that he is there waiting for me to hold me and comfort me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was still a good mental image I go back to a lot. Um, so that Sunday, um, I went to church at Mercy Hill and I continued to go, you know, Sunday after Sunday and listening to the sermons and, um, you know, really reading my Bible and underlining things in my Bible and really making sense and pulling it all together. And um, I felt at the end 
of you know a few months that it was very crystal clear to me that I wanted to reconcile my marriage. Um, and I did. We did. <laughs> and um, we were married again in September by Johnny, and Michelle was there, and they helped us through that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'm eternally grateful to all those people in my life that helped me get to where we are today. So thank you. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. See, the mustard seed is tiny. When it grows, it becomes a large plant, almost tree-like. Birds can find shelter. But once this seed gets, takes root and, and begins to grow it, the seeds that fall from this tree are like they begin to germinate almost immediately after they hit the ground. And it's almost like this tree has a life of its own. That these, it, it's, it's, it has all these little trees growing around it, and it's hard to get rid of once it takes root in the garden because there's these trees coming up everywhere, and it's, just, it's growing wildly. We also see Jesus talking about a woman leavening three measures of flour. This would have been about 50 pounds of flour, enough to feed about 125 people or so. And after the leaven is introduced into the flour, you can't separate it. You can't take it away from it and have it be the way it was before. It it begins to infiltrate and begins to work its way into every area. Every pocket is is worked into this leaven, takes hold and takes control, and you can't separate it. It's, It's unstoppable. It has a life of its own. When I think about Chuck and Meredith's stories. These are stories of the kingdom of God. Starting simple, just one person, maybe coming to a Bible study, one Chuck at work, a buddy, telling him about the Lord. Just, it's just one conversation. It's just one prayer. It's just one testimony. It's just... One yes. And the life of God begins to take root. And it begins to grow. And lives are changed forever. What I love about hearing from Chuck and Meredith, you have someone who has been walking with Christ for decades. And you've got someone who's been walking with Christ for months, a couple years. And you can see how the life of the kingdom, the life of Jesus Christ has taken root in each one of them. And it has grown and has changed. Think about Meredith's life. Her, her marriage is transformed. Her relationship to her husband is transformed. Her relationship with her kids, transformed. Her relationship with people at work, changed forever. With Chuck, his family has changed. His workplace has changed. The church is changed. Chuck left us out, but he went on to really help start Living Word Church about 35 or so years ago. And Living Word is a church that planted us out and planted Crosspoint out and is planting out church number four. And 
the reason we're sitting here today, part of the reason we're sitting here today is because Chuck said yes to the Lord. Oh, we wouldn't be in this place right now. We're part of the product of the kingdom taking root and growing and growing and growing. And now we can all find shelter in it. That's how the kingdom works. It was just one woman in the synagogue with one sickness who's been bound for 18 years. It was one battle, one touch, one victory. And Jesus is glorified. And her life is transformed and changed forever. And she goes home and glorifies God. And everyone in that synagogue gives praise and honor to Jesus Christ for what God has done. This is what happened at the cross. Thousands of people have been executed by crucifixion. It was one of the ways which the Romans publicly murdered people and killed people for rebelling against the system or, or, or capital, capital crimes. And so when we look at the cross and see Jesus where he gave his life, it seems insignificant. He was just one of a, of a few thousand people who had been executed before him and who had been executed after him. It was just one guy who was teaching amongst the people. It was just one message. Just a few disciples. And yet it changed history forever. And we have never been the same. And here we sit, thousands of years later, proclaiming the same crucifixion that set us free, that redeemed us, that delivered us. I want to read this little excerpt from J.C. Ryle as he considers what had just taken place. It's a little bit longer quote, but I just I can't improve upon this. The beginnings of the gospel were exceedingly small. It was like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It was a religion which seemed at first so feeble and helpless and powerless that it could not live. Its founder was a poor man who ended his life by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Its first adherents were a small group of people who probably numbered less than a thousand when our Lord left the world. Its first preachers were a few fishermen and tax collectors who were for the most part uneducated and ignorant men. Its first starting point was a despised corner of the earth called Judea, a petty province in the vast Roman Empire. Its first doctrines were calculated to provoke enmity from the natural heart. Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Its first followers were persecuted on all sides, Pharisees and Sadducees, Jews and Gentiles, ignorant idolaters and self-conceited philosophers, all united in hating and opposing Christianity. This sect was spoken against everywhere. These are not empty assertions. They are simply historical facts that no one can deny. If ever there was a religion which was a little grain of seed at its beginning, that religion was the gospel. But the progress of the gospel after the seed had been planted in the earth was great, steady, and continuous. The grain of mustard seed grew and became a tree. In spite of persecutions, opposition, and violence, Christianity gradually spread and increased. 
Year after year, its adherents became more numerous. Year after year, idolatry withered away before it. City after city, country after country received the new faith. Church after church was formed in almost every part of the known world. Preacher after preacher rose up and missionary after missionary came forward to fill the place of those who had died. Roman emperors and heathen philosophers, sometimes by force and sometimes by argument, tried in vain to check the progress of Christianity. They may as well have tried to stop the tide from rising or the sun from rising. In a few hundred years, the religion of the despised Nazarene, the religion which began in the upper room at Jerusalem, had spread out throughout the civilized world. The grain of mustard seed grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. The Lord Jesus said it would be so, and so it came to pass. That is our hope. That is our hope. That this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, that the coming of the King is going to grow and increase and spread as it's done since the beginning of time. Since Jesus Christ first spoke these words, the kingdom of God has increased. It has grown one person at a time, one testimony at a time, one prayer at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one community at a time. It is growing and increasing and becoming a great tree. Where does it all start? Just a little mustard seed. Just a little bit of leaven. And you know what happens? God brings the growth. God brings the growth. We don't make it grow. We don't make the tree grow. We don't make the leaven expand. We don't make the chemical reactions happen. It is life in itself. That is what the kingdom of God is. It grows and increases and expands because God brings the growth. The very thing that God uses to grow a mighty tree seems very insignificant at first. It seems very insignificant. In each one of our lives, there is things that God is asking us to do. When I think about us praying for the nations, it was said, well, what's, what's just some prayer? And we're talking about an entire country of the world with millions of people in it. What's just a few prayers from a little church in Munster going to do to affect an entire country of people? It's just a mustard seed. It's just a little mustard seed. What can that, what can that do? What can that become? When we think about prayer, as I just thought, man, prayer, it's just a little mustard seed. We're going to pass out those Mercy Hill 5 cards again. I think we've got some in the back. But I was thinking this week, how do we reach those people around us with the good news of the gospel? You know what? It starts with prayer. Just a mustard seed prayer. Just simply praying and laying the people before God who need to know Him and come to Him. It's just prayer. It's just a mustard seed. But it also means being sensitive to the Spirit to share a testimony when God asks you to. To invite someone over to your house to greet the person who's sitting behind you. And yes, there is someone sitting behind you today. To greet that person. To bring someone to church. To pray for somebody. These are just mustard seeds that God takes 
and he grows and he makes it become a great tree. I think if, if Jamie would have never invited Meredith over to her home, never invited her into her life, never told her about the Lord, you think, well, it's just a few, just one person, just, just an invitation. But we see how the Lord has taken that and has changed Meredith and Rob's lives forever for the glory of God. And their lives become a great tree where other people will be able to find shelter in them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, God, we, we pray that you would take our, our feeble hands, our timid hearts, God, and yet you would use us for the great work of the kingdom to be those little mustard seeds that would become great trees where your kingdom would grow, where your name would be glorified. And God, we know, Lord Jesus, that we can't make it grow. And so we entrust ourselves and our words and our prayers and our actions, we entrust them to you for you to do with them as you see fit, to use them the way that you want to use them. God, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit this morning. God, that we would hear your voice. We would, we would, when our heart begins to quicken, Lord, we would respond. When, when you place people in our lives to, to reach out to, Lord, that we would be available to you to say yes to you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we pray, help us, God. Help me. Help us, Lord Jesus, as a church, to be the people of God who'd say yes in the small and significant things that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.